Hello and welcome to Have I Got Moves For You, a new dairy podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian and CMEX. I'm Farmers Guardian editor Ben Briggs and over the next few months we are speaking to leading figures and thinkers within the dairy industry to get their views on what makes this sector tick and what the future holds for this pivotal part of the farming industry. So whether it's farmers who excel inside and outside the show ring, the role gender diversity plays within the industry, or dairy farmers who have undertaken amazing personal and professional journeys of discovery, Have I Got Moves For You speaks to the people driving the industry forward. Available via your usual podcast provider, myself and Farmers Guardian Livestock Editor Katie Jones will seek to bring you a range of voices from across this wonderful industry. In this first episode of the new pod, I went to meet dairy farmer and owner of Norbrett Genetics, Phil Holhead. Milking in the region of 300 Holstein cows at his farm in Cockrum, Lancashire, Phil is a third generation farmer whose genetics business sees him travel the world. With a passion for agriculture and business learning, I went to get Phil's thoughts on leadership, recruitment and the challenges and opportunities faced by today's dairy farmers and managers. CMEX is committed to delivering genetics for life in a world that demands compassionate sustainability. With health at the forefront of our innovation genetic solutions, CMEX's pledge to positively impacting profit on the dairy farm is unwavering. As all shows and farm visits are cancelled this year due to COVID-19, it is more important than ever that our industry continues to communicate and share experiences. To find out more about CMEX, visit www.cmex.co.uk. So here I am with Phil Holhead at his farm near Lancaster, interviewing him in a setting which meets social distancing rules. As the rain fell heavily this morning after a very dry spring, we're here to talk around issues of employment, labour and how to attract the right calibre of people into the dairy industry. We're both actually former chairman of the prestigious CMEX conference in Glasgow, with me doing this year's event and you doing it all the way back in 2011. And one of the things that struck me about your CV, when I look at it and I look at your breadth of experience, is it has a corporate feel to it. And I don't mean that as a criticism, I just mean that you've clearly engaged with education, training, travel opportunities to broaden your horizons. So I just wondered if you can give me an overview of of what you run here at Cochrane on your farm uh, and just your career to date. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And it's a a real privilege to be involved in this podcast. Um, So here at Norbreck Farm, uh, lucky in in one sense that my grandfather, born in 1900, came here and rented a small farm in 1936. Uh, My father subsequently took over the farm in, uh, or worked alongside his father uh, in the 60s. Uh, and then I came back from uh, college doing a national diploma uh, in the early 90s. There's a few significant little points in there, I think, as far as uh, <clears throat> we talk about change and not to digress too much. But grandfather really, you know, coming and working with horses, seeing the advent of the tractor. Um, he saw the first man land on the moon. He put the wireless off in the corner of the room and switched the television on. Uh, quite inspirational stuff for me. And I think history teaches us a lot about uh, the future. 
So uh, father, grandfather, obviously working hard as a young boy, saving some money, coming to rent a small farm, uh, and then father buying bits of land to go alongside this unit. We're now a 300 cow, or very close to 300 cow, uh, Holstein dairy unit. Um, we have a contract rearing facility uh, just four miles away. Um, that's a family who uh, we've just moved to after 17 years with a with another family. And I think that's one of the things I've learned with my Norbrecht genetics business as well, is how to collaborate with other people in the industry with, and, and then obviously trying to attract good people to work within our business. And how does it work, Phil, in terms of, because you're not hands-on involved with milking the cows on a daily basis I assume so how does it how does the business structure of your dairy unit work yeah so the one of the other little pieces of history that probably is quite relevant and important is um, my father when I came back from college was very good at handing over the reins uh, after seeing a passionate young boy grow up with dairy cows and, and pedigree beef cattle uh, showing and, and working around the farm from a young age as most people uh, from the third generation family do uh, but father went off and developed uh, the country harvest business with another farming family and, a, and an entrepreneurial retailer um, and that was inspirational as well as far as allowing me to get on and make some mistakes and learn the hard way uh, but also having a go from quite a young age um, and I think father would say, and my grandfather would say, if he was still here, that um, he, you know, my father had been dominated by a, a guy who'd had a passion in his, his father, was very passionate about agriculture, but it was his way or no way. Um, and so I think my father had learned quite early that that wasn't how he wanted to be with his son. Um, and equally, some of that learning has passed on to me uh, hopefully in the way that we uh, integrate and, and think about the people that come and work for our business, uh, whether that's Norbrecht Genetics or whether that's on the farm, very much about empowerment. How have you got to that position in your career then? Because you talk about empowerment, but if you're a manager, if you're managing people, sometimes, as you say, like with your grandfather and your father, you can have people who are maybe trying to control those around them, get it to be their way or the highway to a certain extent. So how have you gone about gaining the skills and I guess perhaps the confidence to, to allow people to have their own head within your business? Very good question, Ben. And if I look back to a um, report that was done, we were changing the way we run the business. We were looking at country harvest and uh, we were talking with banks and different uh, funders at the time about uh, the strategy around our business. And one of the reports that came back from a consultant was, Philip, he has to be in control of absolutely everything. As a young 20-odd-year-old, knew everything, thought I knew everything. Probably looking back, fairly clever. Um, probably didn't just rub along with one or two of the existing staff very well at the time. And um, so this is a learnt behaviour. This is something that's come through my uh, need to change and my acknowledgement that actually it was a skill that I hadn't learnt anywhere uh, at college or school. Um, it had to I had to outsource that that sort of knowledge, and there was a thirst for that actually, Ben, as well. So I think. There's a real thing here about acknowledgement of the issues, whatever that might be. Uh, but this one, we're talking about leadership and, and skills around staff. Once you've acknowledged that, then who is going to help you? How are you going to get the skills? Where are you going to get the skills? 
uh, and I luckily got on to the lead course at Lancaster University, so literally a stone's throw from where we're sat today. Uh, Lancaster University, an amazing resource, the lead course designed around um, businesses of all sizes and shapes, um, and I was the only one in agriculture who joined that course, and actually uh, that was one of the most powerful parts. So I I uh, learned that all businesses are very much the same. Uh, it's all about the money, the finance, it's about the people, and uh, and then it's about the processes and the protocols that go along with it to make a business successful. And that doesn't matter whether you're repairing a shoe, milking a cow, or you've got a childcare nursery. Um, and I partnered with um, a lady who had a childcare nursery. So we did exchanges in business, which was very interesting for her uh, to cover, to go to the bull stud. Uh, but also I went to her childcare nursery, sat in there on a Saturday morning while she did a team meeting for all of her departments. Fundamentally, I think it's, it's relevant here, uh, a lot of youngish girls who were managing very young children and she asked them, uh, she gave them a bit of the inspirational sort of half hour of where the business is, where it wants to go. And then she asked them all to disappear into their corners with a whiteboard and come up with ideas how to improve the business. And I looked and I thought, well, yeah, right, dream on. You know, this isn't going to work too well and, and you're not going to get any great ideas. It was absolutely phenomenal. They had 30 minutes or so in their own corners about their own classrooms. Their own, <clears throat> And what they came back with was inspirational. It was the people who were on the front line who were actually working hard with those children and knew what the faults were, where the problems lay. Uh, the leader, because she had several childcare nurseries, she was actually um, looking at a radar screen, but it was very, very cloudy. By allowing and listening to her staff, she'd, uh, she brought out and teased out some of the real issues and then dealt with them and helped them to find solutions, which was amazing. And that solutions focus was the main focus. And if I had to choose one nugget from the leadership course, it was solutions focus. So in the past, I've been guilty of, you know, quite often there's a problem around the corner. You've got a problem today, problem tomorrow. And if you haven't, you're definitely going to have one next week. Uh, and that can be all shape sizes. It can be in your personal life and it can be indeed in your in your business. The solutions focus is changing your mindset from thinking about the problem to empowering the staff and changing your mindset to think, OK, it's happened. Let's not get negative and let's not let's not build on that and, and exaggerate the problem. Let's actually think, OK, it's happened. How do we find the solution? And that's what I try and do here at Norbrecht Farm particularly. And the relevance today is that Nick, um, uh, Sally, Gavin, Charlotte and the part-time team all have that um, philosophy. Uh, we talk about it quite regularly. And it's a case of they, they know what Philip requires. It is, you know, they'll ring me or tell me that there's been a problem, but this is what we've done about it. And it, and it really changes the daily uh, mindset and how, how we approach things. And do you think that allows you to to focus a bit more clearly on the challenges that you've got in your business rather than, because sometimes it's very easy, especially within family businesses, and I know this from growing up uh, on a small dairy farm with a milk round, you sometimes can have personalities fall out with each other, or you might have one member of the family who is focusing on something isn't the real problem they're not focusing on the thing that is actually driving the problem in the business and has that allowed you a bit of clarity therefore to, to target more effectively yes uh, absolutely ben uh, the clarity that i think i've 
should we say, a little bit of um, a, a privilege in the fact that with my other business, I'm on the road a lot. I don't know if that is a privilege, but anyway, it, it's a case of that's what I find myself doing. I'm on the road in an aeroplane. I'm, you know, I am traveling quite a lot. That is amazing thinking time. Um, and, and I found some clarity of thought through taking time away from the cold face, if you like, um, which ordinarily isn't possible for everybody. But it, it's quite important that if you think that's what's needed, that you diarise, you know, schedule, even if it's just a walk down the lane um, with your own thoughts and to come back an hour later and think, I know that's a different way of looking at this. Or you find a mentor, somebody who can support you. If you haven't got the answers or you're not quite sure, make sure you surround yourself with really good people that, um, that can help you to guide you through that process. The personality one's an interesting one. So I go back to being lucky enough to go on a, on a leadership course in America, two years running. Um, that was uh, run by the Holstein Association of America. And it was all about young people and trying to get young people in, in the industry to step up. And uh, we had some media training. Uh, we actually had um, some inspirational speakers from large biz agricultural businesses coming in to talk to us. But one of the powerful pieces for me, <clears throat> being in my early 20s then, was all about personality traits, the Myers-Briggs template. And uh, I hadn't uh, come across that before. But actually to realise that the Philip Hallhead, who is obviously reasonably confident, reasonably OK with walking in a room of people and talking, uh, I'm the worst enemy number one of the person who loves detail. I'm quite a big picture person. So somebody who loves detail, loves, you know, absolutely nailing everything down to the finest full stop and the dotting the I's and crossing the T's. I'm their enemy number one and, and, and understanding that that's what another person requires. And it's the same with the team here. If I think about um, one of the drivers for one of my staff um, is very much about family time. So we've had to make uh, schedule his time off is, for example, is a, is a Tuesday afternoon where he gets a bit of extra quality family time, time to, to uh, spend with them. We make sure that um, total hours per week for all of our members of staff is is uh, not maxed out so there is plenty of time for social for for being refreshed and coming back into the business um, and, and focused on what we want them to do and that's an interesting thing isn't it because I think the dairy industry and farming in general has this mindset that you've got to work long hours that you've got to absolutely slog it as we would have done in the past do you think that is something a that we need to move past as an industry but also specifically as dairy businesses become larger and you employ more people that you factor in those elements like family time or just that balance that people want, especially in, in a kind of more modern society. Yeah, it would be easy, Ben, to, to look at this and go, yes, yes, yes. And absolutely, we need to move to another place. But actually, when we understand, as you and I do, dairy farmers and any, any sector, I mean, it goes right across the board here. Who are we or who am I to say that they have to prioritise time away, a holiday, a family time? You know, it's very, very specific to individual businesses and families. Uh, what's right for one family is absolutely not right for the other. And I can think of friends, neighbours, uh, you know, who are, they absolutely love milking cows two or three times a day. Um, to sit on a beach in uh, Marbella is the worst thing you could ever do to them. Uh, and actually to take uh, more than a day or two away from the business. They really miss that cut and thrust of a really busy dairy farm. So 
it'd be easy to say actually there's another side to this you could have more time away you could go online a beach you, you know you could prioritize other things but that would be wrong um uh, but what i would say is that if you want to be a good leader and a good manager of a large business you can absolutely not be seen to be in control of everything and that is one of the first learning points before you can become a good leader you have to accept that you have to stand back and allow other people to lead uh, and whether it's some training uh, some help from a consultancy based business you've got to find that resource and you have to step away if i think about jim ostrom when i was in america in 2014 he started on a 175 cow dairy farm and he's now managing 40,000 cows over several units uh, and 35 minutes with jim ostrom i mean you know really to think that he was involved in what is effectively a very small family American dairy farm and today he's got the largest core or one of the largest corporate operations in agriculture with many departments just for growth, uh, gap accounting. <clears throat> he doesn't, you wouldn't see Jim anywhere near milking a cow. And the one thing that I had to, the hardest hurdle to get over actually is I love, I've got a passion for cows, I love agriculture, I love, I love that cut and thrust and I really do miss that. So. So somebody sitting or listening to this podcast thinking, ah, oh, Phil, you know, he's on a plane, he's in a car. He, you know, that all comes with its price. Um, to actually have breakfast um, every morning with your family um, is, you know, maybe quite special for some people. So you've got to be very careful about what we're, where we guide everyone in the industry. And, and there's room in this industry for everybody and everything. Uh, we think about diversity. We have a great team here. And one of the strengths is the number of girls that work in our team. They have skills, they, have, they bring a different dynamic to the operation um, and, and they're capable of every, doing every single area as you would expect. And you know, that's been a real turn point. I know still in agriculture, we have this diversity question hanging over us and maybe this is a good time to, to sort of put that on the table again. But again, it's, it's who's available. It's not, for me, it's about the right person. Um, not necessarily the colour of your skin or, or whether you're male or female. It's very much um, getting the right skill set. And the skill sets we need in the future, Ben, when I talk to young farmers clubs and things, um, we're going to need some really different thinking, uh, you know, millennials or, or, you know, young people coming into this industry who really understand tech. One of my weaknesses really is, is you know, I'm, I'm conscious that I need to really, the data we're going to be dealing with, the amount of information requires a different mindset to the one I'm carrying. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because if uh, for the younger generation coming up who have grown up with technology literally at their fingertips with smartphones and, and whatever else, that is going to change how we view the industry, isn't it? And what's your view on that? I mean, you, you must, as, as somebody who's leading a couple of businesses, you, you must be seeing the impact that the ability to analyse data, the ability that, that how technology is changing the, the industry in general must be must be quite a big thing for you and also quite exciting. Yes, that is absolutely where you know my time is spent now. If you think about, uh, I don't know whether we're allowed to plug different businesses here, but you can edit this out there. But we've just got the new Keenan feeder with the InTouch system on, and that's a great piece of kit as far as thinking about all that data management, the accuracy of the feeding, the timing of the feeding, the revolutions to make the right mix, you know, the detail. And it's fantastic to think we used to talk about some sort of, you know, 
we, we, we were just clunking away at getting some of the, the mainstream day-to-day -day stuff done, we're actually now able to really get into the minutiae of animal health, animal welfare. Um, uh, we're thinking about the data and the driver of, of information. So instead of actually driving the aeroplane or flying the aeroplane without any instruments, we've got a whole bank of instruments uh, but the problem is that Phil and some of his existing team maybe don't know how to use these instruments. So we've got to really be careful about making sure we get the data, number one. And there's a lot of great businesses out there that will help us do that. Um, in my genetics business, we're talking with the supply chain. That's absolutely where we're driving that. So it's thinking about really starting at the uh, far end. What is it that the consumer needs? What is it they're willing to buy? What is it they're willing to pay a little bit more for? Because if we're accepting that on the whole british agriculture is uh, higher welfare um, production than most other countries uh, we produce to very high standards it comes at a cost and i think that's obviously also on the table at the minute if we think about the government's uh, view on um, trade and, and trade tariffs and different things we've got to be very sure that what the british consumer wants is what they get and not some hidden and I know it's been used a lot, but the chlorinated chicken arriving on the dinner table and they didn't know it was there. Um, so we've got a lot to do as far as the, the, the connection as well, Ben. So a lot of my time is spent thinking about multimedia channels and, and, and I've got the help of a, an outside source for that and thinking about the messages that we're putting out there, not just as a genetics business, but as a farm, as a family. You know, the last thing I want is is any um, sort of repercussions from something we've been seen to step over the line on or done wrong. As Jim Ostrom in America, I said to him, I said, what keeps you awake at night, Jim? And he said, there's only one thing that keeps me awake. He said, the thought of a, of a, of a piece of footage on, um, on CNN News that was just misconstrued. You know, farms, are, uh, you know, with livestock... As you and I both know, as the, hopefully the listening audience here know well, that there's always going to be implications. Life and death is part of our daily routine. How we deal with that and how we manage it is going to be more and more important because we know that it's done right. We know that it's done to the highest and the best of our ability. But if that little clip, that little bit of media footage was just put out wrong and cleverly edited, which I think is where we quite often fall down, it's been edited beyond what it actually was, um, we tell a different story. And I think storytelling in the future and the people that I have around me to tell stories, thinking about Open Farm Sundays, thinking about, again, multimedia channels, that's going to be really important. And that's quite an interesting perspective, isn't it? Because that issue of, in agriculture quite often, agriculture is fundamentally dealing with life and death quite often. And that, in the modern society actually sits very uncomfortably with people because, you know, it's not a reality, you know, healthcare, everything is so good. It's not something that people naturally think about as they would once have done. It's interesting, therefore, that that is going to present challenges for the industry much more going forward. And do you think that's something that we as an industry, not just in dairy, but across farming, have to come together on and, and be a bit more proactive about? Absolutely, Ben. I mean, this is really what gives me a lot of thinking time uh, as far as, and I'm sure it does a lot of others, is we, we know and we can accept that the disconnection now, you know, so many generations removed from any farming connection, uh, the urbanisation of our country and, and sort of the European economy is, you know, every year it's pushing. I, I wonder if COVID will actually bring people back towards the countryside, which will be a great thing, uh, and an acceptance of food and, and space and 
and what, what they have around them and they can enjoy and maybe not being able to get on an aeroplane as conveniently or as easily for the next year or two. Um, we've got a real opportunity to put the score right and to make sure that we tell the story. And, it's, and, it, and it isn't that um, people don't want to understand their time short we just have to understand how they how they snack on media don't we and I mean yeah that's your expertise but if we understand that they're snacking on media the messages we have to get out there and I have to say uh, our organizations that surround our businesses have been up to now fairly poor and I would argue that um, resource is finite I realize that and and you know we're not a we're not huge business with uh, mega millions or billions like some other industries would have but I think we can, with social media and with everything else we've got and with the right few people uh, to put the messages out, we can do a tremendous job with not a lot of cost. And those organisations, which ones do you <laughs> mean then? <laughs> I'm not going to be drawn on that, Ben, but um, there's, there's one of them that's been under a major review recently. It'd be very interesting just to see how that pans out. And um, it's easy to fire bullets from the outside. And when you're in these organisations, there's rules, there's there's things they can and can't do for political reasons as well. So we all sort of understand that. But that doesn't help the hardworking foot soldiers who, you know, let's be honest, again, we have a bit of resource in this business. We have a farm, we have a genetics business. There's some resource around there to take a little bit of time to think about it. But I'm well aware that if it was just a busy dairy farm here with me as the leader, you know, involved with that day to day cut and thrust, the time is not there. Um, we are under more financial pressure as an industry than we've ever been. The volatility is more extreme than it's ever been. You know, so we've got to factor all the, the mental health issues that surround our industry that I know you've highlighted as a, as a business. The Farmers Guardian have been very good at bringing that to the fore. A lot of mental health issues, a lot of you know, people working alone. You know, there's a network around what we're doing that, um, or what I've got that uh, wouldn't be the ordinary resource, and I'm well aware of that. So I've got a role, actually, as a business, as Norbrecht Genetics, as a farmer, to stand up on behalf of a number of, um, you know, friends, colleagues, industry partners, and do my bit. Because number one, I think I've got the ability to do that reasonably well, and in a in a in a sort of fashion that hopefully um, resonates with our consumer uh, and number two I've got a little bit of time so both of those are um, valuable commodities that I can hopefully leverage on behalf of other people. When you talk about that image as well I mean I pulled into your farm today and I can see you've got the Land Rover and trailer and on the back of it you've got the Noah Brett Genetics with one of the McGregor pictures of one of your bulls which is uh, and I've been thinking a lot I mean we use McGregor photography and they've been very much on trend and I think like the way they take photographs is very much part of that kind of an era of Instagram and of Facebook and of promoting yourselves. It kind of fits, it has the right image. And I think we all need to get better at promoting the industry. But do you also think with the way, with the images we're able to promote of agriculture now and, and how much we're able to share that, that not, not only helps in terms of informing the wider public, but also from a recruitment perspective as well, in terms of drawing people in, in terms of making it an industry that people want to come to work in, because they can see, you know, we sit here, you've got a fantastic view out of your, your house, you know, farms generate this landscape that people love, and we can actually bring people back to the industry. Yeah, I think a really interesting point to the whole thing about the attractiveness of not only your individual farm but the industry as a whole and the messages that we're sending out and 
the professionalism of what we're doing. If we think about our educational establishments, I mean, it's very sad to be reading that Newton Riggs demise is is imminent. Um, we we were not overdone, certainly in the north of England, with um, with outstanding educational organisations, and a lot of my resources come out of America. So I think about the new calf building we've just built. Uh, that was Wisconsin University design, and you know, the the new calf building we've just built here, absolutely all about animal health. It's all about being future proof. We we're able to weigh cattle in, weigh cattle out. The antibiotic usage has declined by just over eighty percent, uh, which is phenomenal. Um, so these animals are happier, healthier, and critically, it's a wonderful little building that the team love to work in and they're very proud to show visitors. And we've also got ancillary businesses working with us in the feed uh, industry that want to partner with us to be part of that, to tell that story. Um, and, and so what I'm getting to here is when you look at your farm, when you look at where you're working and how you're operating and the messages and the way the language that you're using on a day to day basis. Does somebody want to get out of bed at half past four or quarter to five in the morning to come and join you and listen to what you're saying? And do they want to actually work in that environment that you're providing them? And I think that's as simple as it needs to be, Ben. I, you know, we could dress it up. We could talk about this for hours. Um but we're going to have an opportunity, I think, unfortunately, through, um, you know, some higher unemployment numbers. Uh, that is a wonderful time to offer agriculture as a, uh, a route to um, some stability. We're not that, you know, we're not the businesses generally that change very rapidly. In a lot of bigger businesses now, there's a real ladder that they can climb. So giving somebody progression, showing them or verbalising to them in a very genuine way, while salary expectations aren't comparable or haven't been comparable to some other industries, it's a great environment to work. It can be flexible, and flexibility is absolutely what we do here. So I, I used to manage the rotors and look at those, and I very quickly realised that that was a ridiculous thing to be doing. Uh, and and I've got a team here that are very responsible, flexible in their approach. So if somebody, as long as it's not... 12 hours before or the day before uh, you know if somebody wants a day off or something's happened and they need time out of the business they know they can take it uh, and that's amazing uh, well I feel it is it's really empowering for them it gives them a work environment that they know oh well actually next Wednesday I really could do to have that day off uh, yes I'm, I'm having a holiday first week in August just check with Phil first but yep yeah, great you know, there's no sort of, it's not me dictating at all. The only thing we try and do in this business is put some really good, strong protocols in place uh, that we can then talk about. It's not about this is the way we do it or the highway. It's about these are the protocols. We've discussed it in our team meetings. We've come to a consensus quite often with the vet in the room, with the nutritionist in the room. This is the best thing for that animal. This is the best thing for this farm. And this is ultimately the best thing for you as the team member team leader um, uh, and we all agree that we set the protocols and then from there when the protocols aren't followed or something goes wrong we can go back we review and we can quickly find out and it's not about putting somebody under the bus it's just literally about right that's what we did wrong that is the consequence and when you can show it clearly why wouldn't you do it right well, then they've got clear parameters in which to work, haven't they? And, and therefore, if something does go wrong, you've got the ability to, you probably know where it's at fault. It's yeah. not who's at fault, yeah. is it? It's, it's where the fault lies within, within that system or within that yeah. process. 
And then it's it's really the recruitment piece in agriculture generally. It's finding, you know, it's people within your area. So I'm well aware in this area here we seem to we seem to attract workers reasonably easily. We don't have big period big gaps. We've we've luckily got quite a nice retention rate here. Um, but then in other areas, if we were sat in a farmhouse in, um, let's say, Essex or, uh, you know, maybe south of Birmingham somewhere where there's a lot of other alternatives, there's, you know, the, the, maybe the pressure, the pressures are very different in different areas, different businesses. So I'm thinking about the unfortunate events of COVID creating, you know, real uh, problems for veg growers and, and the picking teams. And, you know, that, so that, that's a whole dyna- different dynamic and uh, unfortunately, I think through Brexit, what we've sent out is a very poor signal to what we fundamentally do need in a lot of businesses now is we need that definitely combination of overseas workers with great UK teams. Um, and um, unfortunately, where we're going with that is is less than clear at the moment. And so I'm sure for some businesses, it's going to be quite a challenge in the short term to attracting the right teams and in the right numbers. You mentioned before about the new calf building that you said is based on University of Wisconsin. You've travelled extensively North America, South America, Europe and elsewhere. How important for your development as a leader and as a business owner has that international travel been? And what, what's been the main issues that, or the main things that you've drawn from it? If I think about the far, genetics, obviously quite a niche business, Ben, and, um, and that has its own specialisms and the... the we now have with CMEX in Hungary bulls there, uh, and there's a, a very uh, great partnership there about uh, collaboration for a growing market and, and that benefits both uh, you know the CMEX business globally, but also obviously ours as Norbrecht Genetics providing the beef side. Um, the travel bit brings all sorts of interesting things on the genetic side, but it, from a farm perspective, um, the one thing that I probably woke up to quite a few years ago now is 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 the globalization of agriculture and if i think about me as a 20 early 20s leaving college i actually was very privileged to win a bp scholarship and i went to live in prague and i studied eastern european agriculture i spent uh, four weeks with an interpreter going around farms factories amazing you know work saw still working farms in in czechoslovakia there as it was then uh, working with horses I uh, went to duck and carp farms, dairy farm. We had a, a really great time out there. But so what I'm getting to is there was an appreciation very early on that actually we have to allow the global forces to do what they're doing because it's unstoppable and not really to get too, too, you know, uh, too worried about that, even though those global forces are putting a lot of pressure on a lot of businesses what happens in Lancashire, what happens in your locality is a very little significance anymore to the, the overall global marketplace. And that was the awakening I had a number of years ago. And when you realise that, you it would be easy sat in a farmhouse or, or in, a, in a milking parlour to actually think, you know, the world's against me or, you know, that it's my dairy, my processor that's another letter and another load of rubbish and that's why my price is coming down. When I was in America last year for uh, two weeks um, travelling around, they have had a four-year recession and then they've now had to deal with COVID. Their dairy industry is 10 times worse than what we're going through. They've had low prices for long periods. I was with bankers who were 
you know, tearing the hair out of the finances on a lot of these dairy farms. Um, so this change, this revolution, if you like, is going on all over the world. You're not, you know, I'm not on my own with it. And what's right, we all want to think that, you know, I'm sat here as a third generation farmer and some people listening will go, well, it's all right for him. I don't want to open up about our personal finance and the family history and everything else, but we've had our tough times. Yeah. And actually our tough times have got me to where I am today. Because again, one of my things that I do when I fly on an aeroplane, again, travel, is um, try and do a bit of reading. That's something I don't make enough time for, but I read books and I usually read um, uh, quite a few uh, entrepreneurial um, life stories. And there's always little nuggets. Uh, and, and one of the ones in there <clears throat> was very much about the right decision for one business may well be to join with HSBC or whoever it might be and really put the neck on the line and finance and they've got a very clear specific plan for growth and succession but absolutely the wrong thing for the farm next door who sees the neighbour doing that and think well I can do that too but without understanding the vision the strategy the finance you know somebody may have just been left an inheritance and they're choosing to spend it on a brand new milking parlour, for example. I think you've got to be very clear about where your future is. And unfortunately, what we are seeing, if you do the numbers, uh, in 1992, we had 34,500 dairy farmers in the UK, Ben, and you know this. And if you put that, plot that on a graph, a piece of graph paper, it's a per, almost a perfectly straight line of around 4% decline in dairy farmer numbers per year you continue that on from 2020 to 2028 2030 you know if all things being equal which we've had lots of turbulence and ups and downs foot and mouth bse you know we can name all the dramas through history if we imagine a similar period of change continues at three to four to five percent um, reduction in producer numbers we know that in 10 years time, we will only have around 6,000 dairy farmers in the UK. So there are dairy farmers listening to this podcast who it will absolutely be the right thing, expansion, growth, succession. But unfortunately, there will be quite a number who have to find a way to exit. Now, that sounds dramatic. And I, the trauma of that, I'm not trying to belittle in any shape or form. But by understanding the need for that change and that that is the right strategy for you and for the need to actually find a plan that gets you out of the industry with finance, with some, you know, something to walk away with and the plan of what you and your family are going to do in the future, where there will be a bright future. Because again, it may be that some of those people join those businesses who are growing, who need wonderful people. And yet there's some better structure, some better family life for those who've chosen to give up the daily grind. So I think it's been really positive about whatever the move is, having the right mindset. And that's a big thing of mine is getting your mind. And it's not easy. And I don't belittle the challenges that that creates for a lot of people. But with help and with talking to the right people, you can find the right path. It's very clear talking to you that that positivity and that mindset is absolutely you know, you're looking for opportunities, you're looking for the way forward. But you talk about the industry there seeing that continual decline. And I come from one of those small producer processing families, not many of them necessarily exist anymore. 
But are you positive about where the dairy industry is going over the next 10 years? Or does it scare you to think that we have gone from that place where we had you know, tens of thousands of dairy farms to where we're going to probably have 6,000 mainly business-focused operators? Yeah, it would e- I could easily be slightly scared by that. And, and look, I'm not sitting here saying that Norbrecht Farm, Phil Holhead and Max and Angus, the fourth generation, uh, are going to be farming dairy cows at Norbrecht Farm. I'm absolutely not saying that. I have to have a very clear plan. The plan today uh, on the contract I, I am on with the uh, staff that I have around me, with all the resources we've got, says, OK, we can continue on in this ambition to be a dairy farmer for the next let's say three to five years, I have a very clear three to five year plan. We strategy, uh, sorry, the strategy for, uh, you know, 10 years time is a more holistic, um, idealistic, if you like, approach. But every year we review it. And if any one of the, I've sort of, you know, you could call it a three-legged stool, you know, you've got the family, you've got the staff, the team that work here. And then we've got the overall industry dynamics of milk contracts, of uh, demand, of whatever it might be. If any one of those legs falls off that stool in the next 12 or 18 months, we could have a podcast in two years' time uh, and Phil Holhead and Norbert Farmer no longer milking cows. And so I'm very open about that. And it doesn't scare me because I've I've given it a little bit of time and thought about it. And I'd love for Max and Angus, or one of them at least anyway, to come into this business. And there is a wonderful future for the ones who want to give it the business direction, who want to do things properly, who appreciate what consumers are wanting. And, and you know, it's not that everybody really agrees with how the direction the industry is going. And if if that isn't for you, then it's you've got to stop the bus and you've got to get off and allow the bus to continue with people who think the journey is for them. Um, so that, that's quoting great to good and Jim Collins there. But, you know, it, it, it is a good analogy. You've got to be you've got to have the right driver on the bus, the right people on the seats. And as an industry, we go forward. My worry is that some of our industry organisations uh, as bus conductors on that bus are maybe not just doing the right thing, but we'll see how that goes. And, we need a lot more promotion of what we're doing and a lot more verbalization, simple messages. It doesn't need to be complex or expensive, but it needs clear messages about the health benefits of milk, for example, and in getting that out there in a really media savvy way. And just to finish up, you obviously talk about your, uh, your children there. If they're coming to you in a decade's time and they're saying, or, or more, and they're saying, listen, Dad, we think it's time for you to step aside. We want to take the business <laughs> on. How do you think you're going to react to that? Fantastic. I think I've done the job very well. But um, yeah, who knows? Uh, you know, and again, I've got to be very careful about this. But again, having traveled and I'm already talking to them about, look, guys, you know, you, you, what do you want to do? You know, the six, uh, six and seven, nearly seven, nearly eight. Um, and it's all about I'm not sowing seeds. I'm not, you know, um, I'm not setting them up for a career in farming. What I am going to do is give them hopefully some of my contacts um i'd like to think we can get on a plane to america and go meet jim ostrom visit some of these businesses look at what they're doing absolutely what i want them to do is to uh, go and work out out of the business for a period of time um 
And that isn't me saying go away and do whatever. But that is go away. You know, I got a lot. I actually worked on uh, on a big arable unit in Yorkshire uh, on my placement, and I worked on a small local dairy farm not too far away. I went to Prague. Those were my early get away from the farm, go and see a bit of the world, um, and that's essential. I really think anybody now who comes back uh, straight from school, for example. If that's what they want to do, again, let, don't let me be the one that stops that. But really and truthfully, the businesses of the future, you have to have a much more holistic, rounded view and, and bring something back to the business to take it forward. A huge thanks to Phil for his time and also his insight on a range of subjects. There is no doubt that the skill set required by many modern dairy farms is constantly evolving. But while there are many challenges, there are also huge rewards to be grasped. That brings us to the end of our first Have I Got Moves For You podcast. Please keep an eye on Farmers Guardian in print, online at fginsight.com and on our social media channels for the next episode, as well, of course, as your favourite podcast provider. But from me, Ben Briggs, and the team at CMEX, I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay safe and thanks again for listening.